Pastor Xavier Reese and becoming a living testimony. The believer is to let his speech always be seasoned with salt. One of the qualities of salt is that it causes people to thirst. You've heard of the saying all the time, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But the rebuttal to that is you can give him some salt. And he'll want to drink. We are to cause people to thirst for righteousness. As they look at your life, look at my life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Would you listen to a CD titled, Three Secrets to Financial Success? How about Three Steps to Weight Loss? Or you could pick up the lecture on Three Tips for Happy Living. Well, today, Pastor Xavier offers a lesson on three simple steps to successful living, and his advice comes from a reliable, proven source, the Word of God. Here he is in the book of Colossians for today's encouraging study. Let's listen. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The message is entitled, Practice for Living. Paul the Apostle comes to the concluding remarks of the practical section regarding the new man. First, the believer is to be persistent in prayer. Verse 2 through 4. Secondly, the believer is to be persistent in his walk. Verse 5. And then thirdly, the believer is to be persistent in giving biblical answers. Three great truths for us this morning. Now notice first in verse 2, the believer is commanded to continue earnestly in prayer. And the phrase continue earnestly means to be devoted, steadfast, to persevere. The tense notice is the present imperative. This is to be on an ongoing basis as a practice, unceasing. Now, we know we can't be on our knees 24 hours a day, but we do have times when we go to God in prayer and we wait upon Him. And then we walk in an attitude of prayer, ready to see what God is going to direct and guide and say. Very important. Notice secondly, verse 5. The believer is to be persistent in his walk. Notice first, the believer is to walk in wisdom towards them that are outside the believers to practice what he preaches by walking in wisdom towards them that are what? Without. Speaking about the non-believer. The word walk means to order one's behavior, a habitual habit. The reason being is if we say we abide in Christ, we ought also to walk as he walked. First John 2, 6 says, speaking of Christ. The manner is to be by putting off the old man and putting on the new man, as Colossians 3, 9, 10 told us. The walk in the newness of life, Romans 6, 4. The walk is in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, by living a crucified life, Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. We preach the loudest by our walking Notice he is to manifest a walk of wisdom which speaks of the manner and quality of life. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. But I am convinced that some believers think that he said wise as serpents and clumsy as ox. You find that in Matthew 10, 16. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge with full understanding in order to arrive at the rice and best 
choice. And that can only be done through Jesus Christ, for in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, How often are prayers made void, the doors closed, and our preaching ignored because we are not practicing what we preach. Jesus said wisdom is justified over children in Luke 3, 735. The context is in being alert and discerning. Wisdom shall be justified over children. In other words, time will let you know whether you have lived your life in wisdom in the Lord. But if I look upon my life and I see failure as the rule, then I have not lived my life by the wisdom of Jesus Christ. You want to make sure that you make your life count. If you're going to be living with your girlfriend, why do you want to see a Christian? If you're going to be getting loaded and drunk, why do you want to come to church? Now, I'm talking if you call yourself a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. God loves you, and he wants you to repent and change your life for the better. But we have to make sure that our preaching is not canceled by the way we live. How often we have that, oh, you Christians, you're all the same. I know this guy said he's a Christian. You ripped me off. Or you're someplace where you're not supposed to say, well, what are you doing here? Aren't you a Christian? Oh, I just dropped my sister off. (laughs) Even the non-believer knows. Literally, in wisdom walk, ordering one's behavior. Now, you know, wisdom is usually identified with positive results. If a man has money and he's wise, he multiplies it. If a man has a product, he markets it and it sells. Who is a wise man that endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation or manner of life his works and meekness and wisdom, James 3.13 says. If we lack wisdom, what are we to do? We're to ask God. He will not turn us away, James 1.5. Notice, secondly here, the believers to walk redeeming the time. Not only in wisdom, but redeeming the time, which is part of wisdom. The goal is to redeem the time. The word redeem, as you know, is made up of two words. It means to buy up an opportunity for oneself to ransom X out from and agarazzo out from the marketplace. They would buy slaves out of the marketplace. Jesus bought us and redeemed us out of the marketplace. Galatians 4, 5, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. So we buy up that time. Young people, don't waste your life. Make your life count. Don't be out there just running around doing nothing. Know what God has for you and invest your life in Christ and you will not regret it. Don't just be out there three, four years just meandering, not knowing what you're doing. Because let me tell you, from 18 to 25 are key years to prepare you for what God has for you and for life. You work hard up front, you won't have to work hard the rest of your life. You just throw those years away, you'll work hard the rest of your life. It's all up to you. Everything is before you. Notice the word, time. It's kairos. It means season, set time, strategic point of time, like summer. It's only three, four months. We don't get summer in January. Certain flowers you can only plant at certain times of the year. This is the word, seasonal. It's a section. Those opportunities that come once in a while, and once they're gone, they are gone. You know what they're called? Window times. There are window times that once you let them go, you will never get them back. You need to grab a hold of them, make the most of them. 
with the perspective of God, what would you have me to do? Lord, are you in this? Lord, what's the best for my life? What do you desire? We as believers are to go to the marketplace and to buy up that time given to us so that open doors through the word of God, through the grace of God to preach to the unbeliever, buying up that opportunity to minister. Sometimes we're so caught up with ourselves, we don't have time to minister to somebody. Somebody is in real need, but, you know, we're busy. We've got to go to the show, so we've got to get down there in time before it starts. Or, you know, and it's real easy to get distracted from what we've been called to do, right? Real easy. I have to catch myself. All of us do. The reason we are to redeem the time is because the day is evil, Ephesians 5.16 says. And if you look around, the day is pretty evil today. If we truly believe what we preach, we will be taking every opportunity to persuade men, knowing the terror of the Lord, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Even pulling some out of the fire, Jude 23 says, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30. When's the last time you led somebody to Christ? When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you articulated that they need Christ Jesus? Oh, it'll do wonders for you. Paul says one of the crowns that are going to be given at the beam of seat of Christ is the crown of rejoicing for soul winners in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Notice the believers to walk in wisdom towards them that are outside. He's talking about the non-believer. So as to give value and validity to what he is preaching as well as attractive, the word indeed become one, that we may adorn the doctrine of God, not detract from it, as Titus 2.10 says. We are to walk circumspectly, as, not as fools but as wise, Ephesians 5.15 says. We are to walk worthy of the vocation which we're called, Ephesians 4.1 says. We are to walk in love worthy of the Lord, Colossians and Ephesians says that. There are so many things that it says about our walk. Get a concordance again. Walk, walk, walk. We're to walk in Him, Colossians 2.6 says. You know, there are four interesting things that the Scriptures declare about uh, those that are outside the non-believer, we're not to judge them. First Corinthians 12, 5, 12, and 13. We're not to judge the non-believer. We're to evangelize them. We're not to walk dishonestly, but honestly towards them. First Thessalonians 4, 12 says. So what they see is what they get. And the elders and bishops are to have a good report from the non-believer. In First Timothy 3, 7 is one of the qualifications to be a bishop or an elder. Also, the unbelieving husband has a chance of being saved through the believing wife in 1 Peter 3.1. The influence. I shared with you before about one of Alexander the Great's uh, soldier. His name was also Alexander. And he was a riotous. He was a character. And he lived a debauched life. And, and since he had the same name, the general called him in one day and says, What's your name? He says, Alexander. He says, I've heard this and this and this about you. It's the truth. He says, Yes. He says, Well, I've got... One of two options for you. Change your life or change your name. That's good. Are you fornicating? Are you getting drunk? You're getting loaded? You're stealing from your job? Change your life or change your name. One of the two. If you call yourself a Christian. It's just that simple, people. It's so important. The world has enough bad examples. Remember that the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. 
This was his ministry. He, he left his, his domain. He left eternity. He left his throne to come down there. He's our example. And he says, now here's the great commission. You go in Matthew 28, 19. And he opens those doors. We go. We go in the power of the Spirit to give the word clearly. We have the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's have that attitude and perspective that when I speak, I'm speaking in God's behalf. This is one of the reasons why Moses could not enter the promised land, because he misrepresented God before the children of Israel. They were thirsty, remember that. They wanted water, and God says, go out there, speak to the rock, give them water. So Moses goes, what must I do, you rebellious sinners? Strike this rock and give me a drink. Oh, he didn't. They got drink. And God says, come here, Mo. What did I tell you? Well, you know, people. He says, you misrepresented me. You made them think that I was mad at them. You were really mad at them. Now, because of that, you can't enter the promised land. Whoa. Heavy. The unbeliever has beliefs much like those of the Colossians, based on human philosophy, religion, opinion, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. We have the hope of Christ. The believer is to be persistent in his walk. Notice lastly here in verse 6. The believer is to be persistent in giving biblical answers. The believer is to let his speech always be with grace. This speaks of its source. The word grace, as you know, means beauty, charm, loveliness, benefit, gift, unmerited favor. Our words to people should be God's word of grace that have been given to us by his son who is full of grace and truth, John 1.14. The word of God is not to make people feel bad. Just preach the word of God and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. It will cut the heart. That's not our responsibility. Grace is evidence of one's own partaking, like all others, having an attitude of humility. Freely you have received, freely give, he says. Now in Paul's day, the word grace also meant speech of wittiness and clever remarks. That's not how we're to speak. In the world we learn this. It's not to be in Christ. We are to give the truth of the word that is able to save and dispel darkness, not our own opinion or speculation, as we will see towards the end of this verse. It also speaks of our attitude that, is, that it be with love and long-suffering that they embrace it, not in self-righteousness. You know, there's a way you can tell, well, you know, yeah, I used to do that. Or you can say, you know what, man? I was in the same place you are before. And you know what? God was able to do it. Now, same words, but the attitude, the perspective makes all the difference in the world. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. First time grace is found is right in the midst of judgment, Genesis 6, 8. Grace. The scriptures repeat over and over again that the Lord was merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and mercy, Exodus 34, 6. We are to speak truth and love, Ephesians 4, 15 says. Our mouths should edify 
and minister grace unto the believer, Ephesians 4.29 says. Over and over and over again. Notice secondly here. The believer is to let his speech always be seasoned with salt. This speaks of the content and what it does. One of the qualities of salt is that it causes people to thirst. You've heard of the saying all the time, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But the rebuttal to that is you can give him some salt. And he'll want to drink. We are to cause people to thirst for righteousness. As they look at your life, look at my life. One of the greatest compliments that I've ever received, and I didn't receive it directly, was during my, my daughter's wedding. Some of the family members on the other side, some of them were non-believers, and, and, and one of the ladies told my daughter, he says, you know, I, I was amazed how much fun your family had, and they weren't drinking. That's great. Because the world always identifies that if you're going to have fun, you've got to get crocked. You've got to get blasted. Man, in the Lord, you can have clean fun, real fun. <laughs> we are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13 says. Another quality of salt is that it stops decay. We are to let people know the power of God's word to prevent them from sinning, able to purify their lives as salt deters corruption. In Paul's day, salt was used for that to preserve. They had no refrigerators. A, a soldier was worth his salt because used to, they used to pay him in salt. Remember, you've heard the phrase, you're worth your salt? Because they used to pay soldiers with salt. That's how valuable salt was. And they paid him in salt. <laughs> we are to let them know that God desires to use them in the same way once they are recipients of salt, they become the salt of the earth. They can cause others to thirst and to come to the end of their life of sin. The third quality of salt is to season food when it is bland. Have ever, anybody ever given you some food or you order it and you've got this thing in your mind, what it's going to taste like, and you put it in and you go, got some salt? You want to put some bite into it or something so you can taste something. We are to be agents of the gospel making it palatable rather than something that is bitter and unattractive. We can present the gospel in such a way that people want nothing to do with it. You know, you're walking around all self-righteous and, you know, maybe you're a young lady, you had your dress up to here and down to there, and you walk by, oh, God, I, I wouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> what's your problem? What's up with that? We have to be careful. We're real people. And we've met the Savior. We are to present the gospel in such a way by God's grace that it causes them to desire to partake. It's attractive. Now, we in all of this are very aware that it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, not the excellency of our words, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We want to articulate, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit, not of ourselves. Notice thirdly that the believer is given the reason for these two commands. First, that we may know how we ought to answer every man. And the word to know implies that we have to learn answers by study. 1 Timothy 2.15, diligent to show myself approved unto God. Study time, guys, ladies, personal 
and corporate right here in the church. The word ought, there it is again, the same word in verse 3, obligation. It's not an option. The command is based on the privilege of having received something. The proper understanding is that we cannot give what we do not have like the farmer in 2 Timothy 2, 6 and 7. The husbandman must first be partakers of his fruits. The implication being that questions will be asked. We're to have answers because questions will be asked. The entire New Testament is a witness to the many questions posed to Jesus' disciples. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. What do you say? Why did Moses give us the right in a divorce? Questions. Answers have to be given. Scriptural answers. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Proverbs 10.21 says, Every idle word that men speak, they will give an account in Judgment Day, Matthew 12, 36. Useless, senseless, stupid, empty words. <laughs> Jesus once likened the man who heard and did as a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the flood and the storms came, it didn't go down. It wasn't destroyed in Matthew 7, 24 and 27. But the man that was a hearer, not a doer, built his house in the sand. And when the storms came, and they will come, his house fell. Sadly, the church today is not being a doer. Let me give you a beautiful description of a greater percentage of the church in the United States today. Man says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, and I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I think that's the church in the United States today. Are we communicating God's grace to the sinner regarding their sin, or are we focusing on the horror of their sin? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you, in fact, causing sinners to drink of the waters of life freely as the invitation of Revelation 22, 17? Are you excited that people come to Christ? Are you being a good Berean, examining everything you hear to find out what is truth and what is there? Acts 17, 11. So you're not deceived. Are you able to give an answer to the unbeliever for the questions that will be there? How about evolution and creation? Can you answer that? How about the Trinity? Can you answer that? How about the way sin came into the world? Can you answer that? How about the atonement? How it's possible that we are saved by the grace of God? Can you answer that? Questions that the non-believer has. Are you studying? Can you give those answers? Now, a child doesn't know everything in kindergarten, but he starts there. <laughs> And he works his way up. The believer is to be persistent in giving biblical answers. Paul has given to us the practical perspective of every believer as a new man by declaring these three simple responsibilities. The believer is to be persistent in prayer. And he put a top priority on that. Three verses. The believer is to be persistent in his walk. 
so that his prayer and his preaching is not canceled out. And the believers to be persistent in giving biblical answers so he can point people to God. That's what the world needs today. That's what your neighborhood needs. That's what the sinner needs. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of becoming a living testimony. And if you'd like a copy of today's study, the title to ask for is Practice for Living. It's available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this also includes what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is Practice for Living, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What does a church on fire look like? Feel the heat next time right here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 